This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned, because in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself. So today, we really wanted to talk about the things that you don't want to talk about in therapy. Because we had put this up on our social media and people had a ton of things to say, right? And we'll go into all those things, but it's something to keep in mind. And I've even done this myself. I was thinking the same thing. I've done this in my own therapy. It's the thing that like, in theory, therapy is supposed to be the place where you can share anything, but it doesn't make us any less fearful right so this entire idea of like a therapy being a like quote-unquote safe space that's not true safety comes from also trust and relationships which takes time right it's hard to just immediately trust someone even though your therapist and I am telling you we have heard it all there are so many clients who are who say this is going to sound crazy or like oh my god like this might be too much information I'm like listen there is no No such such thing thing as too much information but I will also say we've also heard about people that have these these experiences where they go and say something to their therapist and they watch their therapist have like a visceral reaction yes. to the entire thing, right? Yes. Like we've heard this a lot about specifically sex. Right. Because I think I, I think sex is such has been such a taboo topic. And if therapists aren't trained in it or they haven't had experience talking about it, that their own personal shit comes up when yes. they're hearing about it from a client. So Emily and I both specialize in sex therapy. In order to do that, we have had to undergo multiple SARS, which is a sexual attitude reassessment. Yes. In those SARS, we watch so many different kinds of porn. Yes. So you sit for eight hours in eight one day. Hours. You do it in one day, right? So you sit and go through and like with this group of people and you watch every different type of sexual activity, right? Stuff that it feels like more vanilla, like, you know heterosexual people having missionary right (laughs) to like way more graphic things of like um pee play and of kinks and bdsm and all these different things that maybe you haven't been exposed to because they're not something you do in your own personal life and that is like a very specific thing we're also taught about how to physically not react how to watch our turn of voice like there's a really specific way that you're trained to do it's one of my favorite things that um you know emily nagowski we had on in season one and she wrote come as you are and burnout and she's amazing and she's a sex researcher and she talks about specifically with come as you are that she made sure that she herself narrated the audiobook mm. because they wanted to use like a professional um what's that called like a person a voiceover actor, yes. right yeah, yeah, so yeah they yeah. want to use like a professional voiceover actor and emily's like well no because it has to be trained to talk about it in this soothing calm way because it can be very shaming yes right like if you're bringing up something maybe a kink right that Mm -hmm. and that we're talking about rape fantasy right that's a really that is a really controversial idea for a lot of people so therapists are specifically trained sex you know if you're if you specialize in sex therapy we're specifically trained we have seen it all right (laughs) we've heard it all um and whether it's sex or whether it's another topic it's it's something we have 
really, you know, studied and heard a lot about. And so, but we completely understand how important it is for you to develop trust in your relationship with us in order to feel like you can talk about some of these things. And I think another thing is that when you go into your therapist, you want your therapist to like you. In general, right? Like, I think we always want someone to like us for the most part or we want to push them away (laughs) right so you either want to find a reason to not like your therapist because you don't actually want to be doing this you're not actually comfortable too vulnerable yes exactly or you really 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 want them to like you and so when we do that when we like it's so important for someone to like us then we don't want to tell about the times where maybe we haven't been our best selves right and so what that might mean is like if there's times where I'm like really means my partner I don't want to admit that like we have this idea about what it means to be a quote-unquote good person and when you're so attached to the idea of being a good person it makes it that you end up having a lot of blind spots and I also think this idea of being a good person almost like negates or takes away our ability to be human yeah right like that of course we're going to be reactive sometimes like of course we're going to make mistakes and you know, we want our therapist to see us as, oh, we're this good person. But listen, we are here to sit with you in all of your humanness, <laughs> which includes the mistakes you make. And it also, for us to hear those things, it helps us help you. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So the more vulnerable you can be with us, the more we're able to help you through some of these things. So I think it might be helpful if we go, yeah, through, go through some of the stuff people said, some of the topics that people mm-hmm. said, what you know, why it's difficult for them. And we could talk about why it might be difficult because we only have a small question box when people fill these out. <laughs> so one of the things was my attachment to my mom after the loss of another parent seems embarrassing. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, right? That somebody feels that shame where like for me on a therapeutic perspective like it makes a ton of sense right of course especially if there's any type of complex grief like it makes a sense that we like highly attach to the person who's left and we really hold on to that of course we don't want more loss of course we don't want it. it makes a ton of sense to me and it's interesting right to say to yourself I wonder why that feels so embarrassing to you I also I hear a lot too like when as you know if clients are older and they're like oh I just lost I lost my mom and that's really really hard for me like I know that I'm you know an adult and I shouldn't feel this way right like I shouldn't feel that attached but like of course you do yeah right it is that is a really really hard loss it does not matter how old you are Mm -hmm. you know to have that adult figure that you have lost um, you're losing part of that attachment Yeah. yeah if absolutely. you had that attachment with them to begin with. And I think there's also other people on the flip side of that that would maybe feel like, oh, I pulled away from my remaining parent after I lost when I had a lot of anger towards them um, because maybe I was closer with the other parent. I wish it was them. And that's the thing I don't want to admit out loud. Like we are sometimes these very real human thoughts we have. We have so much shame mm-hmm. around them that makes it so difficult and even a therapy to bring this up. And I think the assumption is we're going to shame you too, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're already shaming yourself. And so the assumption is if you bring it up in therapy, like we're going to shame you, right? Like, oh, I can't believe you would have that attachment. Yeah. 
When in reality, we're like, oh, no, that makes sense, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is pretty much our reaction to everything. Yes, right, because everything does really make sense, right? Like, if you think about the human experience, like, I really get that. And I think, too, as therapists, I know we've talked about this before, but, like, hearing everyone's stories makes me more comfortable with being human myself. Well, I mean, that's why we have the best job in the entire world, yes. right? Like, if you take a, like think about the level of vulnerability we get to sit in all the time, God, it makes you feel so much less alone so much less alone where if I wasn't hearing these stories all the time I could totally get why it's isolating and why there is so much shame around it because Mm -hmm. you're not talking about it and you're worried about how other people might might respond to you yeah so a lot of people a ton of people were in sex like the number one answer we got was sex right sex life sexual fantasies um sexual fetish I think these are things that we are worried about talking about because people might think we're weird or because people have maybe yucked our yum in the past. Mm. Um, we'll go into that more. We'll go through some of these other ones. But um, being depressed, right? Like how bad it really is. I think especially because there's this other part we're leaving out that is like the, is the mandated reporting part of it. That mm-hmm. don't you feel like that because we are mandated reporters and it's right. So like mandated reporters is like if we've report like abuse, but also we have a duty to protect and a duty to warn. Right. So a duty to warn is if you come into me, if Jen comes to me and she says, I am going to um, go shoot um cookie monster uh it is like <laughs> I my was wondering where you're going with that you I know i make don't it a human <laughs> like the cookie monster you really hate the cookie monster, i don't think right? i would yes. shoot him but like stop taking the cookies yes right it's rude it's rude okay it's rude. and we want some um <laughs> but so right so it would actually be my legal obligation to go warn the cookie, cookie monster. monster right so we have duty warning and we have duty to protect which is also if you come in and tell me hey I'm thinking about hurting myself and I'm going to go. Um, I've already bought a gun yesterday to do that. I have a plan to do so. I have so. a plan to do so, right? So when you go in and talk about suicidal fat, thoughts and or suicidal ideation, that is not a reason for duty to protect, right? You are allowed to go in and talk about that. If there's a furtherance or a plan, if you tell your therapist, well, I've already um, packaged all the pills away, like done something, that's when we go into a higher mode. But you have to remember there's also like this legal obligation for therapists. And so also sometimes newer therapists will be very uncomfortable with suicidal ideation because it like feels like I have to fix this for you and I have to protect you. Right. And so sometimes people don't want to tell you how bad that depression, how bad of a space and dark of a space I'm really in because of like what are you going to do about it you're going to tell me I have to go away somewhere you're going to have to tell me I have to go to the hospital any of these things and it feels it can feel further isolating too right like when you're feeling depressed it is such an isolating experience and you just want to continue to isolate and if you don't feel like you can talk to your therapist about some of those dark thoughts it can feel even more isolating I think another piece of this too is that a lot of people think about therapy as, okay, I'm going to go to therapy and it's going to be this journey and then I'm going to feel better, right? <laughs> and so- Fixed forever. Right. And also it's it's just such a process. And I think some people come into therapy expecting that we're, we're expecting a certain outcome, right? Like if we're working for a certain amount, you know, number of months or years, that you're going to come in and just be like, oh, I'm great. Like, I don't need this anymore. I feel amazing. I, I will never experience anxiety or depression again. <laughs> and, and I think that a piece of it, too, is that, you know, if you're working for so long with someone and they get a bout of depression, which happens. Of course. 
because, because you're life, human and life keeps happening life keeps happening that it, that some will feel like oh that this must mean I'm not doing the work or like I'm not doing a good job in therapy like almost this needing approval from your therapist and and when you're in a depressed place you're more likely to be hard on yourself for those things too so I think that also part of it is like not wanting to admit to your therapist that like okay we're, we have used all of these tools and worked on all of these things but then I have a bout of depression so it must mean I'm not doing a good job in therapy mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so there's some shame around that when listen we give you so many tools we can work through depression but it's going to come up and yeah. anxiety is going to come up it's not about it not coming up it's about how you manage it how you talk about it how you keep yourself from isolating in those moments, how you use your tools. Um, and that, But that doesn't mean you're never going to feel depressed and you're never going to feel anxious. Because <laughs> you will. Because <laughs> you will. That, and, yes, that, that needs that to be. That sucks. It sucks. It sucks. And you're allowed and you can hold the complexities of that, right? You can say, this is so amazing. I'm doing something to heal and I'm doing something to better myself. And you can hold the complexity of, and also this sucks that like life will still be hard, right? Like that it's not perfect and it can be overwhelming. Because people want want us to turn them into robots. I say, yes. th- I say this to my clients all the time. And I'm like, listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been in therapy. You're not going to turn into a robot with no emotions. Never. It's not going to happen. Like I wish we wouldn't have a job. Do if we could you do- wish? <laughs> no. No. But like I don't want, I, I don't want them to be in pain. Yeah. Because they, you know, they're struggling. But you're human. What? Also, the idea of your mood being completely stabilized at all times right. is like, that's a myth. And that's not a real thing that could ever happen. Because then you can't experience the good yes. times, too. We are so excited to share our newest sponsor with you all, Hungry Root. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality groceries and simple, healthy recipes delivered to your door. The team at Hungry Root just sent me a new box full of amazing stuff. It was literally like I was opening a present going through it. Seeing what was inside and trying everything was just so thrilling. In my Hungry Root box was chicken salad, veggies, dumplings, shakes, cookies, and so much more. My favorite thing I tried was the drumroll donuts. I highly recommend them. The ordering process could not have been more simple. You take a fun, short quiz and Hungry Root will get to know your personal health goals, what you like to eat, the kitchen appliances you use, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all of your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to good use. Hungry Root will recommend recipes and groceries based on your personal tastes, but each order is fully customizable. Take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, pantry staples, health snacks, sweets, ready-to-eat meals, and much more. Hungry Root has made my daily meal prep so much easier. The mental load of grocery shopping is exhausting, and Hungry Root gives me back that mental energy. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When bloggers or influencers post their outfit links, nine times out of 10, I click on it and immediately exit because the price is bananas. It wasn't until recently that I clicked on something expecting it to be the usual out of my price range sweater and it was under $60 at Quince. 
Quince has become my ultimate destination for luxury essentials that won't break the bank. Let me tell you about some of the gems I found at Quince. From their 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters starting at just $50 to their washable silk tops and dresses, organic cotton sweaters, and stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, Quince offers a range of high quality items at prices that are truly within reach. And here's the best part. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Yes, you heard that right. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman passing the savings on to us. I recently got my hands on one of their washable silk tops and let me tell you it has become a staple in my wardrobe. Not only is it incredibly versatile, I've worn it to work, out with friends, and even dressed it up for a date night, but the quality is unmatched. Give yourself the luxury you deserve with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e.com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. Um, a lot of people have, have talked about at times that I've lied. Oh, I wonder if that's in therapy or just in general. I mean, I think people do lie in therapy. We, okay, let's put a, put a disclaimer. We expect you to lie to us. We expect you to, I guess we'll say this. I don't necessarily that I know if I expect you to lie, but I definitely expect you to minimize or omit or certain omit things. certain things, right? So like when you give us information, I'm able to sit here and say to myself like, hmm, she's talking about, they're talking about this one time. I'm wondering if this has also come up in other ways and how this is like, you're able to, that's the thing about like the study of human behaviors. You're sort of able to predict in certain ways. And so that gives us this better information about like looking at like the full context. So um, it goes into, yeah, like times that I've lied. Like we're expecting that. We know this is hard. Yeah. So often people end up telling us huge thing months and months and months or years into therapy. And we're not sitting there at that time and thinking like, I can't believe they didn't tell me the whole time. I think, wow, I'm so glad they told me. Yes. I'm so glad that even after all this time, they felt safe enough to come in and, and there was ability and safety is created over time with trust and with relationship. It is not automatic. The idea of something being a safe space does not happen immediately. Right. And we completely, you know, it doesn't mean we don't trust you or like we we just completely understand that you have to build a relationship with us in order to be more honest and um, maybe authentic is a better word mm-hmm. to be more authentic with everything that's that's happening for you. Um, we totally get that once again. We do not judge you. So whether there's a time you came into therapy and maybe you didn't talk about certain things but you really feel like not talking about it. Like it comes around and you're, you're like, okay, I really wish I talked about that or I wish I brought that up, but I didn't br- bring it up or I bent the truth a little bit because I was uncomfortable. If you come back in and say like, hey, you know, I know a few weeks ago when I said this, this, and this, this other thing also happened and I felt like I really needed to talk about this. Yeah. I think the assumption again is like, we're going to shame you. And I think there's like this assumption that people, once again, this idea of like, I'm the good person or something, right? Like this idea that if I tell them this other part, this is really common, especially when we talk about trauma. If I did anything, if I had drank that night, right? So I'm talking about like sexual trauma, right? So like if I had drank that night or if I had talked to them first, any of these things, then people feel like, well, so then that means it's my fault. Mm. And that's still 
not true, even if any of those other things happened. But it's one of the things that makes it complicated, especially when you go into like a legal case of it, is like people will start to admit this out because of their own shame. Yes. So if you're thinking right now, listening to this, I want you to ask yourself, what is something I haven't brought up in therapy? What is something I know is a big thing for me that I maybe want space to process and I haven't been comfortable enough to do it? Is it my sexuality? Is it something from my past? Is it uh, my credit card debt, right? Like these different things that we feel like carry a lot, a lot of shame for us. Mm-hmm. And I also think maybe an- another piece that could come up is how much emotion might be attached to certain things that we keep ourselves from bringing up in therapy. Like, you know, sometimes we're not ready to touch those things. Yeah. You know, like they could bring up too emotion. It would too much emotion. It would be too vulnerable. Once again, that's why it takes time to build a relationship mm-hmm. and know that if you get emotional, it's okay. You know, like if if it's hard for you, it is our job to hold that space. And, and so, okay, so when we say the concept of holding space, what does that mean? Because I feel like that term is used a lot and I don't know if people use it. So let's like talk about what holding space is. Holding space is when we sit there with you in your emotions and we do not try to fix or solve it. Holding space is I'm going to create um, a space where... I, I try to not use the word safety, right? Like, right. Because that's it. That's because you determine if yes. you're, if this if the space is safe. for Exactly you. right. So holding space is it is my job to sit there with you in whatever is coming up without bringing in my own bias, my own opinion, and my own advice or problem solving. And I think so often just our society, right? Like whether we're having conversations with family or friends that. It's really difficult for people to sit with other people in their in their negative emotions. And so, so often we are bringing these things to friends or family and they're trying to solve it, right? They're saying like, oh, well, you know, you have this, you should be grateful or, oh, it's not that bad. Listen to what happened to me, right? Yes, yes. Um, and so, so often when we bring those things up because socially it's really uncomfortable and these people aren't trained to to sit in negative emotion right and so I think once again we bring that assumption into therapy like if I bring this up you know maybe they're going to try to fix it or give me advice Mm -hmm. or or it, it will be too much for them yeah we are so comfortable sitting with negative emotion <laughs> right like so comfortable yes, with it yes and holding that space for you is healing yes absolutely and well, there's and, nowhere else you're going to get that right i mean it's it's funny right cuz people will how jen we could never even begin to count if i had a penny for every time somebody was like i'm sorry i'm crying I mean, like, at this point, I just tell people we can't charge them. Or I'm like, I'm like, oh, I can't charge you if you don't cry. Or, oh, no, 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 don't worry. We put something (laughs) in the air. Because people, like, the amount of people that apologize for crying in session, I'm like, this is literally what you're supposed to be doing. It's not a problem. Yes. But I think also we know in couples therapy, a lot of times people do not want to let their anger out. So people are, like, so worried about, like, looking like the bad one, quote, unquote, that they, like, aren't being authentic and talking about like anger is a very valid legit emotion it is okay to show your anger in therapy and I think another thing people don't talk about is like when they have an issue with their therapist like if they're angry or upset with their own therapist people are like scared to bring it up we want you to tell us yes we do if you are pissed at us about something 
that we said maybe. Yeah. Listen, we're also human. Yes, we make mistakes all the time. We make mistakes. We might maybe we worded something in a way that you know helpful wasn't helpful off-putting for you it is so important for us that we have the opportunity to repair that Mm -hmm. if 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 you feel comfortable with that Mm -hmm. right like this is about you and what you need in therapy and so if you bring that to us it's it's really we are so ready to talk you through that repair that for you apologize if we did Mm -hmm. something that hurt you we want you to feel like, once again, that we're creating a space that feels safe for you, for you to determine. I use yeah. the word safe again. I know. I know. It's hard. It's hard. Yes. Yeah. Because that's what we want, right? Our ultimate goal is for you to feel safe. And we try to create that the best we possibly can. And it doesn't always happen, right? Like, and there is also a certain part to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just, I don't know if we're going to edit this out or not, but Emily <laughs> just kicked over our pompous grass. A huge glass vase. We so just got attacked. Yeah, I feel like we shouldn't even edit it out. That's just right, funny. Let's keep it in. This is, we should probably also talk about like, Jen, I are having like such a difficult day. Really? Right? Like, there was issues with the fucking mic. Oh there was God. issues with anything. That's, you want to talk about the stuff you don't want to say. When you get on a podcast, you want to act like we're so in a great We've place We've got today. it together. We're so got it together. And like we we're don't. a mess. We do not. We're a mess half the time. We couldn't figure out sound today. I said to Emily before this, I was like, listen, as soon as we start, we're going to start feeling better. I do though yes no I automatically do but it's even funny that like it's like one of those things where it's like oh you want to pretend like everything's fine it's not <laughs> do you know how long it took us to get these mics together I had to turn into an audio technician we're therapists not sound engineers right. god damn it somebody help us <laughs> I don't get it so <laughs> man, to learn man. so many things Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feet is flooded with customize this and personalize that. All promising to fix my fine lines and thinning hair, but when pro says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. Your formula couldn't exist without you. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. They get personal. Pros covers everything from your concerns to your age, exercise, and stress levels in order to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They asked me about my hair loss being genetic in my family, how long it takes for my hair to get oily after a wash, what products and tools I use to style my hair, and even my zip code to understand how the water hardness, UV index, and cold dry winter in Philly might be impacting me. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed my hair is so much softer, shinier, and fuller. I keep getting asked if I got a blowout from the salon. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party double-bind dermatologist-supervised clinical controlled study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash shrinkchicks for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash shrinkchicks. 
Say goodbye to the cheap razor era, my friends. It's time to treat your body to the premium shave it deserves with Athena Club. Em and I just got back from an amazing trip to the Caribbean to celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our practice, the therapy group. And in haste of packing, because yours truly is a packing procrastinator, I forgot my Athena Club razor at home and had to resort to using a subpar flimsy razor that left my skin feeling anything but smooth, a mistake I will never make again. The Athena Club hype is real. The shave is seriously the smoothest I've ever experienced, and that is especially evident after having to use another razor in its absence. Aside from the amazing smoothest, let me tell you why Athena Club's razor kit is a must-have in your self-care routine. First off, can we talk about the price? At just $10, it's an absolute steal. But don't let the price fool you. This razor packs a serious punch. It comes with a beautifully made ergonomic handle and two super sharp razor heads that deliver an incredibly smooth shave every time. Plus, with the included magnetic hook, storage is a breeze no more dealing with gooby blades or unexpected midnight shower crashing sound surprises and the quality of the shave is top notch those five precision engineered blades glide effortlessly leaving you a silky smooth skin every time plus the water activated serum and built-in skin guards ensure a comfortable irritation free shave are you ready to upgrade your shaving experience switch to the best razor on the market and show your skin you care with athena club head over to athenaclub.com to try their award winning razor and body products and get 20% off your first purchase with code shrinkchicks at checkout. You can also find Athena Club razors at your local Target store. Trust me, you won't look back. Happy shaving. And I think that's the thing, right? And Okay, so I'll say this. So Jen, if you sit here and think about like, what's the stuff you, you keep from your therapist? For me, it there is a part of being a therapist and going to therapy where it feels like you have to have it together. Yes. Like you have to, especially like in your, especially as couples therapists, like it feels like you're supposed to like, I don't know, have this like Perfect ideal. Relationship. Yes, right. Like people say that to me all the time. How many times do clients ask you that? Like, oh, your relationship must be so good. I, I'm, I'm like, like <laughs> <laughs> that's my, I'm like, it's just a, rela- all it's relationships, a relationship. All relationships are hard. So we work really hard. It's probably is a lot better than some people that are not working at all in their relationship, I would say, right? We report it pretty high. Or avoiding. High. Yes, exactly. But even when I go to therapy, there's like certain stuff I that feels difficult saying to my therapist. Is there anything specific you want to share share with the group? Well, I, I think I talked about it. I talked about one of the episodes that there was a time that we got really, really negative feedback on right. uh, social media, oh, like yeah. an Instagram Live that we did. And, and this person like, it was clearly their own shit, made it very personal about us. And there was a part of me that was like worried to bring it up in therapy because I didn't want my therapist to think like I was being a bad therapist, like out mm. in the world. And so I said that to my therapist. I was like, listen, and what I know is that if there is something in my head before a session, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to tell her that. I know I have to tell her that. So like, that, that's, yes, a, that that's, is such, me, that's my indicator. That's such a good point. And that's yes. also something to consider for yourself, right? Because I have that same thing. Yes. before going into therapy I'm like oh what should I talk about and like one thing pops up and I'm like oh I don't really feel like mine's That's, more like if there's more emotion attached and I'm not ready to go there yes that you takes avoid it right I want to avoid it yeah that right. takes me time well like in the words of my therapist she always says to me Emily you love talking but you hate vulnerability Ooh, wow <laughs> which is she true. is good which is true I do love talking and I do hate vulnerability so those things do exist together you- oh see I don't like talking or vulnerability. <laughs> so you want to be a potato. I just would like to sleep. You would just like to be yes. sleep and be a hermit. Yes, that absolutely. would be ideal. 
Um, but that's, I think that's something to ask yourself is like, what are the things that you're thinking about? And that's why a lot of the time when you're in therapy, and we've experienced this many times, clients will bring something up in the last like five minutes Always. of therapy. It's called the, uh, what, it's called the uh, doorknob. The doorknob, right. The doorknob, right. right. The doorknob disclosure, which is that like people are grabbing for the doorknob and they're like, oh, and by the way, I was abused my whole life by my uncle. And you're right. like, great. See you next week. Like, right. It's this thing that like it, it's it is such a subconscious like response for safety. But half the fucking shit we do is self-protective. Absolutely. This entire thing we're talking about of like not bringing stuff to therapy. It's because of self-protection. Right. There's a fear. But so so but that's where the healing can happen. Right. Because we like to think about your relationship with your therapist. The more you build on that, the more you learn to trust them. It's something that model of relationships is something that you can take into the world and apply to other relationships. Right. So like Emily and I, for example, have trouble being vulnerable. Right. So the more we work on being vulnerable, with our therapists, the more we can take that into our relationships in the world, right? So so that's kind of the key there is the more that you ask yourself, well, like, what am I, what am I having trouble with bringing into therapy? Like, what's too vulnerable for me? And you allow yourself to go there and you get a response from your therapist where they are loving, they're there for you, they're holding space for you. Or if that doesn't happen. Or if that doesn't happen. Right. That also, but it also gives you a lot of information, right? Like if that person says nothing back, then you might leave that session with one. If you have the feeling like I'm never going back to that again, something happened. Something was triggered for you, right? Or if you like, I shouldn't have said that. That was a big mistake. And you have like what we call is like a vulnerability hangover that also is a lot of information. Why was that so comfortable? What's the fear of what happens next? The, it is not uncommon for someone to do a huge disclosure and then cancel their next session. Oh, and yeah. try to avoid. And then when they come back for the time after that, there's always another crisis or something going on so they can avoid the thing they talked about before. Like that's very like common. And we don't fault you for that. No, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. We totally get it. And that that's another reason why therapy is such a process is we kind of go in and out of, okay, I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable and now I'm going to pull back. I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable and now I'm going to pull back. And isn't that relationships? That's the dance, right? Yes, that is the dance. Right? That's the we step together, we step apart, I step on your foot, (laughs) I knock a massive glass over. You know, there's just like (laughs) these are all the different things that occur in difficult relationships. (laughs) So another another one that I definitely want to bring up, and I know we've talked about it on the podcast, but it's such – I think it's one that like we need to highlight is talking negatively about my parents. Yeah, people have like such a loyalty. Like they feel I think people's fear is that if they start talking about their parents, then the therapists are gonna think badly about their parents or judge them. But for what we know is specifically, and this is why we love MFT so much, is because we're able to look at the intergenerational patterns of like if you were to say to yourself, if my parents had the parents that they needed how would they have been able to parent me differently? It's intergenerational. Something happened. And oftentimes we'll have someone say like, well, my grandparents were so amazing to me, but you know, my mom had this bad relationship. Well, someone, your grandparents may be amazing to me, but maybe weren't able to parent your parents the way they needed. Right. And so there's a way that when you talk about it, and that's the great thing about MFTs is we're able to do those three, four generations back to understand what is the intergenerational transmission process here of why your parent wasn't able to provide some type of care for you in that way. And so that, 
being able to think in that context allows us to help you be able to think through these patterns, but also gain empathy towards like your parents' situation, right? We're not trying to, we are not trying to target your parent and say, oh, they were bad, right? Like, isn't that the joke? Like, oh, you're going to therapy to like blame everything on your mom. Yeah. But that is not our goal. No. Right? Like, it's, our, it's our goal is to look at it, but also then look at your parents' experience. Yes. So that you can feel your feelings, right? Like you can experience the feelings that you have or maybe dig into some of the things that you needed that you didn't get growing up. Um, but it doesn't mean that that comes with targeting your parents, mm-hmm. right? Like both things can be true. Yeah. Well, let's talk about sex. Okay. I'm that, ready. Because everyone wrote it about it. So many people wrote in about that. I couldn't believe how many people wrote in about they could never talk about sex in therapy, which also worries me because it makes me think the therapists aren't asking about sex. So I, I also another therapist wrote in saying, like, how do I bring up yeah. with my client? Like, how do I let them know that, like, I'm comfortable talking yeah. about sex? I mean, I would simply ask the question, are you happy with your physical intimacy yeah. with yourself or in your relationships? Mm-hmm. How how has your experience with sex been? How did you learn about sex, right? Like, you know, when you start to talk about it, like, even if sometimes for therapists, it's, it's easier to start in childhood. Well, like, how did you learn about puberty? How did you learn about sex? How did you learn about, um, you know, were you taught abstinence only, safe sex, right? So, like, when you start it from – um that more logical like a little bit like few things out then it's easier to come in and say it together and make it a little bit more personal and real but I think you know if you bring up sex to your clinician and you feel that there's a discomfort you also are allowed to directly ask hey are you comfortable is this a safe space safe space (laughs) I'm just there it is um (laughs) is this a safe space to talk about sex is that like something that works here and hopefully your clinician is able to be honest and real with themselves that they can say yes or no to that and we've had people that reach out to us that say like oh I'm seeing a couple therapist but they're but they don't do sex therapy and so they want to come in and do sex therapy with you you know it's actually insane that not every couple's therapist does sex. I know. And also every therapist, sexuality is a part of our lives. Absolutely. And if you even think about, if you think about um, postpartum care and the importance of masturbation, if you think about body image, the importance of um, masturbation and guided imagery, right? There's so many different things that impact our lives, like sex, Yes. It's wild that people don't talk about it, but I also understand it's just not something that everyone's trained in. It isn't the norm. Absolutely. And I think sometimes when I, you know, if I if I ask my clients about sex in therapy and they're seemingly uncomfortable with it or they want they they want to talk about it, but there's still a discomfort that's coming up for them, I'll you I'll be like, "Oh, like penis, vagina." Like if you just start saying, <laughs> you know, like yes. any sort of sexual terms, they become more comfortable. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's like this part that I always remind people like in sessions, like, listen, like I talk about sex as part of my job. This is very normal. This is for me. It's like saying like, how's the weather? Like, how's your (laughs) sex life? Right. So if I'm ever making you uncomfortable, let me know. Absolutely. Or if there's a term or if you're not comfortable with the terms penis and vagina, I'm going to use the words you want to use. Right. That's one of the things you're taught when you're taught to be a sex therapist is how to 
enter in and meet clients where they're at. Right. Tell us, tell us what you're comfortable with. So I think that's the thing. I want to be realistic. I I don't want to sit here and say to people like, you should talk to your therapist about sex because it isn't actually safe for everyone to Mm -hmm. do that. So first I would say, what would that be like to bring up? And you can now use this episode. Yes. Yes. Hey, I was listening to this episode of these two very annoying therapists <laughs> who always want to talk about everything. Um, and they brought out about like stuff. And I noticed that we'd never talk about sex. Is that something you do in your practice? Right. right? Like you can now use this episode of, as an example of how to intro that conversation. Another, you know, thing I was thinking as you're talking is like sometimes, you know, in order to improve our sexual relationships in our, you know, communication in our sexual relationships, um, sometimes we need to practice talking about sex ourselves or like talking about what we like during sex. Yeah. It brings up, you know, what Dr. Kristen Mark said a few episodes ago when she said, you know, it's such a stale thing when people are like, what's the answer to good sex and it's communication? And she's like, yeah, but like I'll stop giving that answer when people start actually doing it. Exactly. So like you can practice talking about sex in therapy if you're if you have this conversation with your therapist and it's something that they're comfortable with mm-hmm. i have done that with multiple clients to like help them feel more comfortable talking about sex yes um which they once again can take into their relationship in order to communicate what they like what they don't mm-hmm. like you know to be more open so that they can better their sexual relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be like I've had many clients that come in, especially people that grew up in a lot of purity culture that was it was really taught to not talk about sex. And this is something that's reserved for marriage. Right. So there's so much shame around sex. And so you sometimes it's a slower process to talk about. Like a client will bring it up one week and then they have to take a break from it the next week. Right. So it's something I keep in the back of my mind to revisit. But if your therapist is maybe getting sidetracked with other stuff, you can bring that up. I always say at the beginning when I first start with a client that if there's anything that we're talking about and you're like, eh, I wanted to talk about something different, yeah. you can say that in the middle of us talking. Interrupt me. Interrupt. This is Fuck your yeah. time. Yes. Like, interrupt interrupt me. me. You tell me what you want to talk about. There will never be a time where I'm like, oh, no, 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 we have to stick on this topic. But there might be a time where we see something like, hey, I noticed that you only want to talk about your dog, but you've been avoiding your suicidal thoughts. You know, right. could there be a way that, you know, let's bring that we to might. the session, right? We can we can bring it and we can look at it in that way of like, hey, I'm noticing this thing. Do you think maybe you're avoiding thinking about your thoughts and right. we're just focusing on the dog here? And you might say, like, yes. <laughs> like, yes, I am. I am just focusing on my dog. It makes me feel better. I'm not ready to talk about yeah. those thoughts. And we'll say, okay, you know, I might... Are you comfortable with me bringing that up from time Mm -hmm. to time, right? To like almost ask you for permission to bring attention to those things that maybe you're avoiding. And when we talk about this, though, we're talking about outpatient therapy. When you go to a specific, very specific thing, EMDR, DBT, you're in like like an intensive OCD training thing, then I think it is a little bit different, right? Because they're following a different type of treatment plan. So that's like something to keep in mind about like what what kind of therapy like does your clinician provide. But I think that it can all relate. I would hope that in the therapeutic relationship, there's space for everything. There's another one I wanted to bring up. Yes. Are we ready for it? Just because I thought it was funny. <laughs> Calling my therapist out in parentheses randomly brings up their dog. Are these our clients? I was just going to say it. <laughs> Are they talking about me? I think... Um, call your therapist out. Yeah, you can call them out. 
are they asking for how to do that? Is that the question? Is like I'm not sure because once again the the question yes, box was is so, so small, small, so I we know. have to assume. But that so, w- what would you say if you were going to call your therapist out? I'd be like, hey, like, <laughs> hey, like, I here's the, here's the problem I'm having. Like, I would love to hear about my therapist dog. Yes, but you would because you would like to avoid. I would love to avoid and not be vulnerable. <laughs> but I think if my therapist was like constantly bringing up their dog in the middle of something, I'd be like, hey, listen, um, you know, I, I love dogs and I love hearing about your dog, but I know we only have a limited amount of time. Do you mind if we focus on this topic? Yes. Yeah. You know, I think there's also one of the things that I've done is to say, like, if that feels too uncomfortable, like if that feels too vulnerable, you can also make it about something else. Like you can say something along the lines of like, no, in therapy with my previous therapist before, they would always sort of talk about themselves. So that's actually a trigger for me. Like, that's good. Right. So for me, because that's actually something that has happened to me. So like with my therapist now in our first session, I said, you know, here's what has worked for me in the past. Here's what hasn't worked for me. And when you're able to say, because some people want to know about it. It's like some people like, I want to hear about your dog. And like, I really hate that this is a one-sided relationship and they're looking for something more. And that's the cool part about being able to say like, hey, listen, like here's what works and here doesn't. Because as you guys know, if you know yourself, you grow yourself. There you go. (laughs) We got to put it in every episode. (laughs) It has to. So, hey, you're Evan Jen. Dear Em and Jen, do you want me to read it this time? I would love that. Dear Em and Jen, my 20-year-old sister is in her first serious relationship and my family hates the guy. He's not a terrible person, but he's not very driven, didn't vote, didn't get vaccinated, dropped out of college, and is a bit arrogant. It's not just my immediate family that can't stand him, but my extended family as well. My mom hasn't been totally honest with my sister about how much we all dislike this guy because my mom is worried about driving my sister away. She's the younger one. I'm the older one. So she's my mom's baby. How do we confront my sister about this? The, uh, here's the issue with here, Em and Jim, is they're not going to like our replies. I know. <laughs> it's Okay. That's all right. So they're asking for a reason. Okay, yeah. How do you confront your sister about this? Hey, if you're if you want me to directly answer that question, I would simply go to my sister and say, Hey, tell me about the things that you like about this. Is it a male? Do mm-hmm. we know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Tell me things that you like about boyfriend. We're gonna call him Mike for this. Yeah, tell like me that. about like tell me about your relationship with Mike. What does he do for you? Maybe there's parts that you don't know. Right? Like, that's the thing. Is like, so you see from the outside, oh, he's not driven, he's not this stuff, but maybe there's something that's incredibly meaningful for him in the relationship or for her, right? He's the first person that has um, made me feel safe. He really gets me. He makes me laugh. There's all this other stuff. Um, so, first, I would ask before I confront. Because I think that confronting can can isolate the person yes absolutely right um of course if they're in an abusive relationship it's totally different it's completely not different um but people really have to figure things out on their own yeah right and so if we start inserting our opinion mm-hmm. um if we push our opinions onto others or say oh my god you, sh- you should break up with that person yeah Right. Then then we're inserting our own kind of feelings about it as opposed to letting them go through it on their own. Well, and let's say you open and have this conversation with your sister and she's like, you know what? We're having a great time. He's not for now, but he's great. And we're having a good time. And like this is how it is. Cool. Right. Right. Like if somebody like directly knows that. So like ask people. 
right? Make it safe enough for there to be. And the reason this is create safety. Create safety. But also like the reason this is important is because if there is a problem, you want them to be able to come to you. Right. So you can be honest and say like, hey, like just, you know, like I think that um, you deserve someone who's more motivated. But if you're with him and you're happy, that's great. That is all that matters. Right. It's it's we've talked about on the show before. It's a um, (laughs) I'm ready. I'm so ready. Such anticipation here. It's stroke, stroke, kick. Oh, right, right. Right. I love you. I'm so happy that you're content and I just want to make sure you're with someone who brings out the best in you when you motivate each other. And I'm here if you ever need anything. That's a stroke, stroke, and a kick. That's our episode. That's it. We love it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. If you, if this episode was helpful for you or you think it'd be helpful for a friend, send it on over to them. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you.